What's up, Mindset Money and More family? Listen, over the next 21 days, we're doing something very, very unique right here on the podcast. So if you're listening, listen a little harder. So over the next 21 days, we're gonna be following a 21-day financial fast. Now, I want you to know that even if you don't share the same beliefs, because this is built on biblical principle, you can still take so much from this fast, right? The the concept of fasting is the self-denial, the obedience, the discipline. And honestly, those are things that your average person struggles with, even outside of finances. So in the 21-day financial fast, we're, we're doing this as a group, as a community. There is also a Facebook community, and that link will be in the comments of every episode for you guys if you want to join us there to get a visual, to be on video with us, and really do this as a community, right? Money-making is a team sport. Getting better with money can be a team sport. And so... Over the next 21 days, we're going to go through some foundational things because your foundation has to be built the right way, like with anything else. And then we're going to get into some really practical things about budgeting, saving, credit cards, your credit, investing, budgeting. I mean, so many different things for you to really experience that increase in your financial life. And so, like I said, even if you have different beliefs, then the ones that are being shared just know that you can still take a lot of the practical things to level up so who is the financial fast for you guys honestly it can be for anyone it can be for the person right now listening who feels like man i have more month than money i need some help maybe you're the person that's like i need a budget and i need to stick to it because i know my spending habits are great maybe you're the person that's like i want to learn about investing and i don't know where to start Or maybe you're that person that's struggling to still get out of an overdraft fee cycle. And maybe you might be the person listening that's like, hey, I'm a pretty good money manager. I just want to take this to another level, right? I want to level up in my wealth building or whatever that looks like. But this can really be for anyone. So I'm super excited to share this with you guys. Make sure that you do this together. Share this podcast episode with someone so that they can listen on their way to work or in the car while they're waiting at the soccer game, wherever they may find themselves. Because when you are able to pass on information to someone else that can be life-changing, if they apply it, you have now been a catalyst for them to be able to change their life. So let's get started. Again, under every single episode, you will have the link to the Facebook community where we are doing this together on video every single day. And I cannot wait to hear your success story coming out of the financial fast. Let's go. Yo, sis, can't believe it's been 12 days. Girl, who you telling? I'm like, 12 days where? Thank you, God. That means I got like 10 days of cooking, maybe. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But y'all already know the vibes. (laughs) We've been doing good. We have not eaten out, not even once. I'm drinking free Panera lemonade, girl. Get it. All right. So listen, guys, let's dive in. If you are new to the 21 day financial fast, I just want to preface this with welcome. It is never too late to start the fast and commit, even if you're starting with us on day 12. Okay. Okay. Because the fast was really broken into three parts. Okay. You guys, and day 12 is a significant point in the fast. Somebody in the chat say day 12 is a big deal because day 12 is a lot of the practical things that you must learn to keep up with after the fast. 
Because it's all good to be hyped up for 21 days. It's all good to have good habits for 21 days. But what will you do coming out of the fast that is going to determine you getting closer to your goals? And I want I want you to, to tell me if you feel me. If you're like, I'm ready to get to my goals. Somebody say, I'm ready to get to my goals because I know I am. Are you? And so part three, which starts with day 12, is a big deal because it really starts, really, first of all, celebrate yourselves, throw some fire, some hearts, some likes, some boomerangs, some, some party hats, whatever you got to throw in that chat to celebrate yourself because you are halfway through this fast, actually over halfway because we only got 21 days and we on day 12. So celebrate yourself, give you, give yourself some hearts, some likes, some boomerangs, hats, fires, whatever you got to give yourself, because that is a big deal. And it won't be long before it's over. And so I want to talk about what, what you're going to do in day 12 that can really set up your next three, six, nine, 12 months for real, for real. If you learn some of the stuff we're going to learn in day 12. So bear with me if this is a little bit longer, if you got to hop off, it's all good, no hard feelings, but do come back and catch the replay because what I want to give you guys today is really going to be the practical things that you have to do moving forward fast or not to get to where you want to go financially. And so this is a big deal. I'm so proud of every single one of you. Seriously, like I'm really proud of you. And you're going to realize, man, these are really principles that I get to choose to keep. I get to do this. I don't have to. I could keep living in debt, correct? We could keep living in financial burden. We could keep buying things we don't need for people who don't care about us. But instead, we get to do this. Somebody say, I get to fight for my financial peace. Thank you, God, that we live in a country where we can even do that. Some countries are so enslaved, they don't have options. So understand that you're in such a privileged position. It doesn't matter what you know or think your finances look like. So we're going to cover a lot of things that are proven to help you when things get hard. A lot of things that are going to be barriers right in your face, even after the 21-day financial fast. Because as you get closer to freedom, as you get closer to your financial peace, Okay, because it's not about the things. I want to have peace in my life when it comes to money. And so to fight for that, you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to have the days where you're like, am I doing this right? But let me tell you, when you start to address these things, you're going to say, you know what, debt, debt, you're tough, but I'm tougher. My principles, my values, my morals, I'm tougher than any debt. So it doesn't matter what your balances look like right now. Nothing. I promise you with time, with strategy, with discipline, you will get there. And so we're going to tackle paying down debt in this third part, essentially. Right. Then we're going to go on to talk about credit. And so these are going to be really practical things that the world tells us is really good. But let's debunk. Is it really good? Okay. And so I just need your permission to keep it all the way real with you in the last part of this fast. Hopefully me keeping it real with you helps you, but you really need to be mindful that a lot of what we're going to talk about is financial drama and somebody say no more drama in the comments because we don't want no more financial drama. Okay. Financial things are going to happen, but you don't want financial drama. So let's talk about it. 
day 12, where we at? The devil is in the debt. Now, I'm going to share some really transparent numbers with y'all and not to come from a place of like bragging, oh, look what I did, look what I did, but more from a place of I did this financial fast two years ago and this is the reason that I've been able to do what I've done in the last two years. So somebody say, keep it real with me tonight. <laughs> Again, not because I want to share numbers. I don't care if you know how much debt I have or none of that. But I, I need you to know that it is possible. I need you to know that with enough discipline, enough making sacrifices, enough not listening to certain people and listening to the right people, that will get you closer to where you need to go. And so in day 12, this one is so near and dear to my heart because y'all look, I got a little book. It says finances. I picked the red book because, you know, red means important to me. <laughs> so I got all my debt right here. But I'm working on my debt freedom. And so let me tell y'all just full transparency where I was at two years ago. OK, I had a lot of debt, some of it stupid debt, some of it debt that the world told me was cool, like brand new cars and just stupid stuff. Right. Uh, a lot of it was student loans debts. We'll talk about that today, too. But I just want to give you some real numbers so that you can know what's possible. OK, you guys, I, I shared with you when we were talking about student loans at first, how much student loan I had. OK, and my. My education together, I, I was that person that wrote like all the sappy essays. Like I'm the I'm the first child, which is kind of true, but not all the way true. So God forgive me for lying. But I was that child that wrote all the essays about, you know, I'm a Latina in an underprivileged neighborhood and I really need help for college. Would you help me? I'm the charity, <laughs> right? Like I wrote all the essays. Like I'm the youngest of four and my mom's a single mom. Like I played every angle in my life of struggle in these essays, okay? So my student loans, my education total for all the schools that I went to for, for my degrees with an S, I should have come out of school with way more debt. Like in total, my education would have cost like 142,000, which is absurd to me. And so I finished my journey in college with a little over $89,000 of debt. Somebody say that's too much, this too much, this too much. Because it is too much, okay? And no 18, 19 year old in their right mind knew what they were signing up for. Because if somebody would have told me at 18, 19, hey, actually over time, this is going to be 90 grand, I would have been like, not me. You can leave me right here in the hood, okay? You could leave me in the hood. And so you guys, two years ago is when I really started getting serious. I was just doing the thing normal people do, making minimum payments on their student loans. And I found myself down to a balance of 89,000. And I did this financial fast. I got into a wealth community and I said, you know what? If they did it, why not me? If they have paid off tons and tons of debt, why can't I do it? And I come from the world of banking. That's the most wicked thing but they don't want you free from debt. They want you to be an amazing borrower. And somebody say it's ghetto to be an amazing borrower because it is. You cannot tell me that 89,000 of the student loan debt is a good idea. No, I got them. It's not a good idea. Zero out of five stars do not recommend it is ghetto. Okay. And so I started my journey and I have all my numbers. So I'm going to be very transparent with you guys. I started my journey at $89,000 of student loan debt. 
And then in all other debt, I had a little over 47,000. So in total, I was in six figures of debt. That's a lot. And I just had to say to myself, like, it's either now, Francis, you do the work now, or it's going to take you years, period, point blank, like it does for a lot of people. And I just chose to say, okay, God granted me access to this community. He connected me to people that even to this day, I wake up and I'm like, God, I don't know what I did to deserve this space, but thank you. This space changed my entire life. In 12, in the next 12 months, my family won't even be recognizable in the things that we've been able to do, not from our own strength, but from adapting principles and doing what we said we would. And so just raw, transparent numbers, and then we'll dive right into all the debt stuff. So in total, in 2021, I paid off $15,568.40 just in student loans. So what I did was I took advantage of this whole no interest thing with the pandemic. And I learned a really valuable lesson. And I want you to write this down even before we dive into all this debt. If you want to become successful, if you want to reach your goals, if you want to reach your financial peace, you have to observe what the masses do, meaning the majority, and you need to do the opposite. The masses are not educated yet. The masses do not understand money yet. The masses do not understand that we are programmed to become the best borrowers in the world. And so once I learned that, I said, okay, Francis, if that's the principle, right, how do I apply it to Francis's family? So what that means is, okay, during the student loan thing, what the masses are doing is they're not making their payments. So what do I have to do? Okay, Francis, you do the opposite from the masses. So I just started getting aggressive with payments. And I was paying as much as I could every single month, every single month on top of my other goals. Like I still have to save, I still have to tithe, but I knew what the end goal was. And so fast forward, that's what I did in 2021. Then in 2022, so far, I've paid $10,022.60. And then from my other debt so far, I've paid $14,088. So I'm down below the over six figure range that I was in. And so I really want you to know, though, that all I did was apply everything that we learned in this financial fast coupled with a lot of discipline, prayer, and saying, I don't like this. This is ghetto, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because it's kind of ghetto to have all the debt, so why not get out of it? And so the main point in day 12 is that debt is dangerous. Somebody type that in the chat. Debt is dangerous. It is not your friend. You will learn about leverage later as you start freeing yourself up out of debt. But right now, your main concern is getting up out of the debt. And so let's pledge. I will complete a debt reduction worksheet. So now she says, let's talk about how the devil is in the debt. Debt is dangerous, period, point blank. And you can't get rid of your debt until you understand how having it actually destroys your peace and happiness. Anybody ever experience a time where they're so bound by debt that all you feel is stress? You just feel stressed out all the time. You don't know who's going to call, when they're going to call. You don't know if your minimum payment is going up. Like, keep it real. If you've ever been in excessive debt, you always have something you're thinking about that's related to the debt. And so when I did the financial fast the first time in 2020, I told myself, Francis, you're in over six figures of debt. 
it wasn't easy to get in all that debt. Actually, it was pretty easy. But now it, you have to commit to getting out of it just like you got into it. And so to pay off what a little over $39,000 extra in debt in two years. So a lot of people they are like, did you even live your life? And the truth is uh, kind of, and not really sometimes because I know what the bigger picture is. I don't want to be bound by debt. So she goes into saying how there's a survey by the federal trade commission that finds that people with higher amounts of debt are more likely to even become victims of fraud because you're so bound by debt sometimes that you're just looking for a relief. You're looking for a way out. You're looking for someone to say, hey, I can help you flip that money or, you know, do this thing for you and give you this great return because your stress level is so high. And so you're more susceptible to things like um, promotions and lottery scams and putting hundreds of dollars into the lottery when we know that the odds of you winning are slim to none. I'm not trying to kill your dreams. I'm just trying to share statistics with you. And most times the people that do win the lottery are never wealthy people. They're never financially free people. They're never people living with financial peace. Why? Because those people that have done the work, that have learned money, that have learned debt, they understand their odds. Their odds are not in wanting to win the lottery. They're putting more time into achieving that financial peace that they're promising themselves. And really that God promises us too. So let's go into a testimony because I, oh wait, greed. Okay. We got to address greed real quick. So greed, which is something we talk about later in the chapter it's just another form of coveting, meaning wanting or being attracted to what someone else has. And in Proverbs 15, 27, it says the greedy bring ruin to their households, whether it's greed financially, it's greed when you look outside of your partner, all the things. And so in, in the testimony from Renee, it says during the fast, I made up my mind that we were going to get out of debt after the mess I had gotten my family into. Okay, you ever feel like that? Like, dang, I got in so much debt. Like, this is really affecting my family. I, come on, let's keep it real tonight. I had credit cards for the business that I didn't tell my husband about, and it hurt the family. I thought it was my business, and I had it under control, but I didn't. I did well on the fast after I made up my mind to be debt-free. I'm living better because I understand how God wants me to handle my money. There's one main thing that I want you to take from what she said, and it's this. I did well on the financial fast. Here's the key part. After I made up my mind to be debt free. Who in here is committed to making up their mind that they want to get out of debt? I'm not saying you're going to do it in two months. I'm not saying it's going to take you two years. But commitment is commitment. And commitment means until and despite. So if your commitment is I'm going to make up my mind to, to become debt free. If that's your commitment, you're going to do it until and despite, until it happens and no matter what happens. Shelly says, my mind is made up. Mine too, sis. I'm glad. And so she goes on to say that we as Americans have a love affair with debt. And you got to think about it. It's because that's what they shove down your throat from the time you, you're, you're a child. Then you hit 18 and it's time for college and you're getting all these pre-approval offers. You're getting all these uh, um, student loan offers, but they won't give you $10,000 to start a business. They don't want you to be free. And so we want so much and we want it right now. That's why when people 
look at maybe a potential business that they might want to start or an opportunity that comes up. They want microwave results because you've been taught that what you want, you want it right now. And that's the problem. You wanting your stuff, Amara? No, thank you. Pull up your pants. Y'all, these toddlers are wild. So your issue is that because you've been taught, I want that and I want it right now, you don't know how to stay the course when you have a legitimate opportunity in front of you. You don't know how to stay the course when you've been given an opportunity to excel compounded over time. You can't stay the course because you want it and you want it right now. And that's why you're in debt. That's why a lot of us get into debt. And so she talks about how by the beginning of January 2009, when all that stuff happened in the housing market, how one out of 10 mortgages were in default or going into foreclosure. You guys, that's a 10th. One out of every 10 people is a significant amount considering we're talking about people with mortgages, right? They're the residents. <laughs> and so she talks about as people's debt rose because they had so much locked into their homes, they had to devote so much more income to servicing that home. And we're going to get into mortgages and debunk this belief that you're not worthy if you don't have a mortgage. Like we need to shred it and forget it. If you, if your goal is home ownership, amazing. There's power in that. If your goal is not home ownership, amazing. There's power in that. Y'all with me? And so let's talk about what the Bible says about debt really quick. She has yet to find a positive scripture when it comes to debt. And she does say everything that she's read in the Bible warns us of, of the ability of debt to make you feel enslaved and in darkness. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this darkness piece, but I don't even want to go there yet. So in, in the word, like it doesn't say that borrowing is a sin, right? But it puts you at a disadvantage. How many of us, and keep it real with me, how many of us ever had something that came up, something we wanted to take advantage of, something that we really wanted to do? Maybe it was even with your kids or with your family and you couldn't do it because of how much you owe. You couldn't do it because, hey, there's seven bills coming up that have to get paid. Anybody been there before? So the word doesn't say that it's a sin, but it puts you at a disadvantage. And when you're in debt, you're literally held up by to someone else. You're held up to that creditor. And... Scripture warns us of that, that type of relationship, right? God's principles and debt are not compatible. They're not equally yoked. Just like they talk about, you know, you and your partner being equally yoked, debt and um, God's principles don't go together. And we'll talk about the, uh, right now, she moves into saying, um, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a, what a day may bring. So, so many people go into debt, not understanding that there will come seasons of famine, right? We talked about the seasons of plenty and the seasons of famine. And that's why you have to adopt the right principles, the right education, the right philosophies, and actually practice them in your seasons of plenty because famine is going to come. We just don't know when. And so when you borrow, you're counting on the income that you haven't even earned to be able to pay that back. Think about that. 
We do this when we get into debt. We're like, okay, boom. If I get this loan right now, right? They're saying I could just pay $100 a month, but you're already counting on $100 that you haven't even brought home. How many of us do that? Because if you were raised anything like me, I was taught to go work a job. Well, we know that at working at a job, we got to work two weeks for free until it's payday, basically. Because you go two weeks without a paycheck or you go five days without a paycheck and then you get paid. But them bills, baby, if they come on the 5th, the 7th and the 19th and there's no payday on those days, you still got to make it happen. And so when you borrow, you're counting on money that you haven't even really earned. Because if you're on a weekly pay cycle, bi-weekly, semi-monthly, monthly, most times we're going to work for one, two, sometimes three weeks if you get paid once a month before you even get your income. And so the philosophy we've been taught is, oh, just borrow. And then from that money, you'll take and you'll pay that. But do we see what's wrong with that philosophy so far from what we've learned? Because what did we learn? First, we pay ourselves. We pay if we tithe. We pay that first. We pay ourselves with savings and investing, and then we pay the bills. But most people can't do that because you have so much debt that you're already taking from money you haven't even brought home yet. Does that make sense? Drop an 888 if that makes sense. Because I want to make sure I'm not going too fast, but I know we got a lot to cover. So I want to make sure we get um, all the way to the part where I want to show you guys a spreadsheet that I use that really, really, really helps me. And it's been helping me on my debt freedom journey. So I definitely want to give that to you guys. It's not in the book, but I definitely want to give it to you. All right. I see some 888s. Perfect. So let's move on. So now we move into the clearest warning in the Bible about debt is this. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. This is from Proverbs, okay? And I want to break this down because how often do we hear people say, oh, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer? Have you heard that before? And normally the way they teach us that is from a place of, oh, rich people think they got it like that. Oh, rich people think that they're better than people. But really, if you pay attention, and this is just how I interpret it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But this clearly says in Proverbs, the rich rule over the poor. So let's focus on that piece first, and then we'll dissect the second part. That first part to me, the way I interpret it, is the rich are ruling over the poor, not because the poor are less than. Because last time I checked, and correct me if I'm wrong, God came back for you. He left the 99 to come get you. And if you read other parts of the word, it said, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek, right? So it's not about the, the rich people being better than the poor or that the poor are less than. So let's establish that because we know what the word says. You were created by the most high. You are his highest form of creation, money or not. But when we really break that down, the rich rule over the poor, not because they're less than, but the rich are going to have more resources, when they are adopting the correct principles when it comes to money. So that's kind of one piece of how I interpret that. Can we agree that it doesn't mean, oh, because someone is rich and, and maybe you're in poverty that you're less than as a person? Absolutely not. Whoever tells you that and fell off their rocker, let's go help them up, okay? But it does mean that they will have more resources. They did the right things. And I'm not speaking for everyone. I'm just saying in general, from what I'm picking up from this, 
But it, it, it is true that if they do the right things, if you do the right things on your journey to wealth in the seasons of plenty, wouldn't it make sense that during seasons of famine, you will have more resources than someone who's been in poverty? And I don't care what anybody wants to say. Poverty does nothing but hurt people. When you're in poverty, you really have no resources. You can't go get better health care. You can't go go to the newer, nicer school that's going to give you better quality education. You don't have resources monetarily, right? And then the second part of this says, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, most people in poverty are borrowers, hence why they're in poverty. They owe so much that they're always counting on taking money that they haven't even brought home to go pay to the lender. So you're literally a slave to the lender. You have this promise to pay that says, even when I haven't earned that money yet, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it to the side so I can give it to you. That's being a slave to the debt. Can we agree? And I'm talking to me too, because I still got a couple thousand to pay off that will be paid off by next year. But it's, it's the principle of understanding, man, the rich don't rule over the poor because we're less than, because poor people are less than. No, it's because you got to make sure you're doing the right things. You get the right education. You surround yourself with the right people. You look to God for wise counsel, right? And so when you take on debt, you put yourself in bondage, literally. Visa had an advertising slogan, which I thought was so interesting that Michelle mentions in here. And the advertising slogan was life takes Visa, right? And so think about what they're teaching people in that. Is visa debt taking over your life? Like the slogan is literally life takes visa. It's almost like making people think you need visa to have a good life. Which is insane. And if you're in debt, according to scripture, you're a slave, you're in bondage. Someone else has you think about, remember when we talked about the, the physical yoke, that piece of timber with the hook at the end, when you're in debt, don't you feel bound by debt? Like they're holding you by the neck when you have 17 payments to make. That's how it feels. Anybody else have debt like me? Like, or is it just me? But no, you feel like that sometimes where you're like, God, I just want to take this $200 and do something else, but I'm going to pay my debt. Right. But that's how you will feel. You will literally feel enslaved. And the word says you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one, hate the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and Kanye West. You can't serve God and um, material things, right? You can't. That's in Matthew if you want to go read it. It's in the book. But so if we know that you're a slave when you're in debt, what do you have if you don't have debt? Freedom. And can we agree that a lot of us here are after that freedom, are after that financial peace? And so what does that mean? We got to get rid of the debt. That's what it means. It means we got to get rid of the debt. If you free up some money, you guys, we talked about value-based budgeting. If you free up that money, now you can utilize that to put it toward things that you value. Maybe it's travel. Maybe it's the community. Maybe it's treating your spouse because maybe they held down the fort for a couple years. Maybe it's so you can help people that are less fortunate. Bring them seminars and classes where they can too sit down and do a financial fast with you. 
That's part of my vision, by the way, guys. Let me know if anybody's in. We could totally partner up and take this to our communities once a year or twice a year for free. People can come. We can even gift people a couple copies of the book and just let them come learn something. Let them come see, like, there's people that really want me to win. There's people that really are down to teach me things I didn't know. Because if you want to hide something from people that look like us, they put it in books. That's why we need to pick up books. And so had I not come across this book, I wouldn't have paid off $40,000 of debt in two years. People that look like me, that come from where I come from, we're not doing that every day. They also never told me to pick up this book. And so I think it's almost an obligation that we go out into the community and say, you know what, for 21 days, we're going to show up for you guys. We're going to show up and we're going to teach you what taught us how we got out of debt. And I'm actually looking to do like a really fun December edition, Christmas vibes, financial fast in person because I will be debt free by then. For real, for real. And so I, I just I think about people that, man, if you could just spend more time with your family, if you didn't have the debt. Right. If you could just travel because that makes you feel full and you don't care about the material things, freeing up your debt will give you the freedom to do that. And so when you think about all the debt that you have, I want you to shift your mindset right now. Somebody say, I need a mindset shift. I need a mindset shift. Right now, someone's listening to this like, God, Francis, how do I, how do I even start getting out of my debt, right? That's a negative mindset, okay? You've been taught that. You've been taught to be shamed and feel bad for something no one ever taught you, by the way. And so right now, I need you to shift your mindset and say, you know what? I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know how long it's going to take. Actually, you can know how long it takes once you start your journey. But you need to shift that negative feeling, that feeling of, gosh, dang it, how do I get out of this? To, you know what, I'm equipping myself with all the tools that I need. And when I start to free up this debt, I'm so happy and grateful because I will be able to travel. I'm so happy and grateful because I'm going to take my mom to Florida and we're going to dip our toes in the sand. I'm so happy and grateful because all this sacrifice, this pain, these tears that I'm going to shed the next 24 months will be the reason why I will get to tithe without checking my bank account for the first time in my life. That's the shift. The shift is we're not going to focus on what we want that we don't have. And instead, we're going to focus on what we have. I mean, opposite. I'm sorry. We're not going to focus on what we have that we don't want. We're going to focus on what we don't have yet that we really do want. Does that make sense? I'm going to say it again because I said it wrong the first time. I'm going to stop focusing on this side here that just feels heavy, right? It feels heavy. It feels dark. And this is everything that you have right now that you don't want. And instead, we're going to look at this side, and, and that takes asking yourself, what moves you? What makes you feel full? What gives you energy? Is it travel? Is it your family? Is it going on a solo trip? Is it giving back? What is it? And then when you know that, right, we covered some of that in the earlier days. Now you're going to say, okay, instead of being so focused on these bad feelings of, dang, I don't want any of this, you're going to focus on, oh my gosh, this right here just, it feels good and I haven't even gotten there yet. And I'm going to focus on all this right here that I know God has for me and that I want. And I'm going to just stop doing the whole, I don't want this. We know you don't want it. You wouldn't be here if you didn't want it. 
So does that make sense where that mind shift is at? We know we don't want this. So let's focus on this. Ooh, I want this. And I'm excited about that. I'm not angry. I'm not sad. I'm just ready to go. I don't care how long it takes. and I don't care what happens. And so is there a such thing as good debt? Let's talk about that. Because the world will feed you. Oh, a house is good debt. Oh, you went there to get student loans. Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. You can't even get a job right now, but your degree was 100 grand. No, no, we're going to debunk that for real. Because I have 89,000 and then I got laid off. And then I was like, God, they told me if I got a degree that I would be fine. I got to take a sip of coffee at 1030. No, they lied to me. That's the blooper. They lied. And there's a Chinese proverb that says this. A good debt is not as good as no debt. And then here's the other proverb. Free from debt is free from care. No debt is good, period, point blank. But some debt is necessary. And she just talks about how very few of the population, and let me plug in my laptop, y'all, because I don't know why I do this. I will cut this out the video, by the way, but I don't want the laptop to die while we're in the middle of this. My phone, listen, if you know me in real life, my phone is always dying. My laptop's always dying. And I have chargers like right here at home. I got to work on that. That's a toxic trait, by the way. Very toxic. <laughs> but if you know me in real life, I'll be talking to you and the phone will go black. And I'm like, oh my gosh. No, they're not going to think I ignore them because they know me by now. I got to unlearn that. That's bad. All right. So here we go. We got some charge back up. We in. We in. Or are we? Why is it not showing that it's charging? Oh, there we go. Progress over perfection. Facts. <laughs> All right. We're good. We're good. So she talks about how very few people can actually afford buying a home, for example. Right. So I, I want to break down this this mortgage deal. OK, kind of like Michelle broke it down. And anyone else ever think that, man, I should own a home like that's what I should do. Anybody else was taught that or maybe you saw that so you thought it was the right thing like, oh, you know, by the time I'm like 30, I should be like buying a house and stuff. Anybody else? Well, for me, it was a little different, honestly, because I lived in the project, so wasn't really a lot of houses next to me. But then when I moved to Pennsylvania for high school, I was like, oh, this is what they mean. Like, oh, you got to buy a house. And if you don't do that when you're like around 30, you're kind of behind and you're a loser. Like, what? I'm also, I should get married and I should be having kids by now. Like, what if I don't even want kids? Because I didn't even want kids. My daughter was a freaking miracle. So confused. And I want to break down the word mortgage because only a small percentage of people in America, like very small percentage, can actually afford their mortgage. I know that that sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy to you that most people are living in houses they cannot afford. I know it sounds crazy, yet 80% of the population is living in a house they can't afford. And so I want to I break down the word mortgage. If you look at... Uh, oh, so let's not mistake this, right? A mortgage is not good debt. Unless that property is producing income for you, it's not good debt at all. It's a liability because I, I want to, and I don't want to, I hate to say like, do it if you don't believe me, but no, don't miss your mortgage payments, okay? But if you miss a couple mortgage payments, tell me who, who owns the house. It's not you. It's definitely the bank. Which, by the way, didn't really even have that 400000 you paid for that house. They actually created it once you went to get the mortgage. 
that's a whole nother conversation for another day. If you guys are interested to go down my rabbit hole, but most people, Amara, come sit down, please. Most people, no, like mortgages and, and realtors will like, and I understand they're doing their job. Like, I'm not saying realtors are bad. I'm not saying owning a home is bad. I'm not saying that ownership shouldn't be your goal, but can we be real that if you're feeling pressured or you're feeling behind because other people are telling you you should be buying a home, the truth is you should be focused on financial peace. You should be focused on whatever God has for you. You should be focused on getting out of debt because you cannot tell me that going into a home with a brand new newlywed spouse and $58,000 a debt is a good idea. When your five to $7,000 water heater breaks, you cannot call maintenance. And then if your credit is bad, which most people are because you're fighting to get a good credit score to even get the mortgage. So what does that say? Oh, when you get the mortgage, your score is not going to uh, magically just increase by a thousand points. It's not a such thing, a thousand points. I'm just being very exaggerated right now because I want to stress the importance of don't let anybody make you feel like you're behind. First of all, whose life stick are we measuring against? Second of all, you have other priorities right now. If you cannot manage credit, if you don't know how to leverage credit, you should not be getting a mortgage. If you do not know how to get out of your debt that you already have before the mortgage, because that's more debt until you pay it off, you should not be getting a mortgage. My opinion. And so don't let anybody make you feel like you're behind. If you're renting in this season, can I tell you that? It's such a blessing because when something breaks, I'll be like, hello. Hello, uh, maintenance? <laughs> like... I'm not paying that bill right now to fix no water heater. And it's like no shade to anybody that owns a home. I'm happy for whatever God has for people, period. But it's not for me in this season. What's for me in this season is the investor mindset, a property that people are going to pay rent in that's then going to cover my bills. Leverage. That's how you leverage a loan on a, on a property. You get a loan for a property that can produce money for you, produce income for you, that then you use turn around and you use that money to pay your immediate bills. So then you're living hmm, with not very many bills. That's a different conversation for another day. But the point is the word mortgage, okay, since we know it's not even good debt, the word mortgage, if you look at the French meaning, the old French meaning, the first part of the word mortgage, mort, actually means dead. And gauge actually means pledge. So in essence, what you're saying is that a mortgage, listen to this, in essence, what you're saying is that a, with a mortgage, you're taking a death pledge. And can I tell you, most people end up in situations like that. They end up giving everything up. They end up doing all the things to get into a house. Then life happens. They don't have a life happens fund. So you're already a couple steps ahead, y'all. They don't have a life happens fund. They don't have an emergency fund. Then an emergency happens or, an, or, or, or life happens. And then now they miss three mortgage payments. And now they're calling up the bank pleading for them to not take their home. There is no way you cannot tell me that that's not predatory. There's no way that you cannot tell me that we're supposed to feel good about that as a whole. And there's nothing wrong with wanting ownership. Hear me loud and clear. But ownership means you own. And I'm sorry, when you first get that mortgage, you don't own anything. The bank didn't even own that money. They just loaned you. They created it. Amara even agrees. She's hype right now. B, 
because that's predatory and we need to do better as a collective. We need to get educated on what it actually looks like to leverage these loans that they're so willing to give out. It's not that they're willing to give out, it's that they're just willing to create money that they really don't have because all we know how to do as a country is borrow. And so if we know that, when you take a mortgage out, it really does feel like till death do us part. I'm going to stay in this house so this thing is paid off, baby, because this, I'm after ownership. And the same is true with student loans, you guys. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. They're both just as predatory. Because with student loans, there's no good debt. You can't tell me that it that is good for somebody to go to school for a degree that might cost them $60,000 to only end up working a job that pays them $45,000 a year because the numbers are the numbers. Men lie, women lie, student loans lie, mortgages lie. The people lie, okay? But the numbers do not lie. So if we know that the average income per household in America is less than $50,000, that means that most people went to school for degrees that cost more than the money they're making every year so that they could try to pay back the degree that was supposed to get them a good job. <laughs> Did I go too fast? Do I need to say that one more time? Because when you say it out loud, I'm like, dang, if somebody would have said it to me like that when I was 18, baby, I would have thought a little different. I would have went to a trade school. I would have just did things different. So if we would just educate our younger people to do it better, to go debt-free, to be okay with going to the community college. Don't let your four-year friend who's going to OSU or, or Butler or Notre Dame to make you feel like crap because you're going to community college. That's what's wrong with the world. And nobody ever wants to address the elephant in the room that we love our educators, but a lot of people who have big aspirations for big levels of income, you're going to go learn from a professor who's never created six figures in their life. How are they going to teach you? And this is no shade. I have two degrees. No shade on higher education. There's value in it. I just believe there's value in education, period. But we have to look at the practical side of how people end up when they do these things without education, like true education of how to prepare them for it and how to get them post-education preparedness. And so I just say this from a place of like, man, student loans are crushing families. I know when I worked in banking, I thought my student loans were bad. People were paying $1,000 a month in student loans. And each one of their paychecks was like a little over 2000 And I'm using these numbers because I'm thinking of a nurse that would come into our branch every probably Thursday and Friday, the day before payday, and then she would come on payday. And $1,000 of her check that was a little over 2000 every two weeks after taxes, because by the way, the middle class pay the most taxes. So that means that if she gets two paychecks a month, and she's using half of one paycheck just for student loans. She's using a fourth of her entire monthly income to pay back a student loan. That's crazy. And so, you know, college graduates are facing so much debt. It's ridiculous. And if we don't teach our young people better, that's why, yo, I'm telling you, these millennials, these new school kids, they're brave. They're like, I don't want to go work for nobody else. I don't even know if I want to go to college and I don't even blame them because they're looking at us. They're looking at people before us with degrees like, 
you got a degree and you still kind of got to do what somebody else says, or you still are struggling paycheck to paycheck. So they have a different mindset. And that's actually a beautiful thing if we foster it the right way and we cultivate their brilliant minds. So if you still think a mortgage or student loan debt is good debt, let me ask you this. What other words do you associate with the word good? So drop some words in the chat. When you think about the word good, what other words come to your mind? Man, it sure has. It sure has exposed a lot. Hold on, Mara. Peaceful. Okay. What other words do we associate with the word good? Happy, fulfillment. What else? So we got peaceful, happy, fulfillment, positivity. So now that we said all these words, let me ask you a question. When it's joy, when it's time for you to make your payments on your debt, when it's time for you to catch up on that mortgage or catch up on that car payment, that even if you go past the due date a day, you think every noise is a tow truck, okay? If you ever been behind on a payment, don't front like we've never experienced this, okay? But can you agree that you don't really feel none of those feelings? You're kind of like, God, thank you for giving me resources, but this is ghetto. Here's your $300 because I can't even, right? <laughs> like you don't feel love, joy, positivity. Like once you get mindset training, you will shift that thinking. But when you're first trying to pay off your debt, like even now, I don't want to pay y'all $1,000 a month, even though you're not requiring a payment. Do you know how hard that is literally every month, y'all? I scratch my head like, Lord, you know I don't want to pay this. I don't. I don't even like y'all like that. Y'all are predatory. You're not even my friend. You got me laid off even when I had you. I'm sick of you, <laughs> right? I had none of those feelings. I still don't. When I'm giving these student loan people $1,000 a month extra, when they're not requiring zero payment from me, because when I log in and I see minimum payment due $0, I'm like, this is ghetto. I don't want it, but I don't want this debt for real, for real. So, okay, I'll make the payment. Fine. Okay, God, I see you. <laughs> like, but I don't really be wanting to, because you know what I could do with that thousand dollars? Shoot, I've been wanting to take a trip out to Virginia. I want to take a trip out to New York. I want to do a lot of things, but wants versus what I'm supposed to be doing, right? So think about it like that. Debt really will put you in bondage and God's perfect will is for us to not owe anybody, period. Like, I'm like, okay, come on, God. I know that's your will for my life and my friends. We don't need to owe nobody nothing. <laughs> like, for real. And so let's talk about borrowing and some guidelines that are good for you to adopt. So in the U.S., it, it's, it's normal for people to borrow. But she talks about how borrowing should be like... If you're in dire, there's no way out. If you lose a job and you have to borrow from family or friends or whatever that is, but we borrow for silly things. Not silly, but sometimes we view them as necessities, right? Like how many of us have borrowed for a car because we had to get our kids to and from or, you know, whatever the situation was. But the truth is that if you have to borrow, let's just do it with caution. Let's commit to that. Can we commit? If we have to borrow, we will do it with caution. So like Tiffany's example that I think I saw in the chat, she says her goal is a two-family house with a built-in savings plan to be able to give the tenant their security and a down payment for a house or deposit for the next rental when they leave. That's such a beautiful mission. And I think that you're the perfect person, sis. 
So that is borrowing with caution because you already have your plan. You understand the assignment, if you will. You understand what you want to do with that property. That doesn't directly just mean I'm, I'm getting a house to say I got a house. No, it's leverage. And so just be sure that you are taking on debt with caution. So then he goes on to, uh, she goes on to share the, the story of the impoverished widow. And not to break that whole story down, but the main point is that she used her borrowed assets, okay, assets, which were the jars in the story, to create a stream of income that would pay off her debt. That right there is literally assets over liabilities. So what does that mean? That means that your goal is to accumulate assets that will eat when it's time, pay for things that are considered liabilities that you may want. So I'll use Tiffany's example. Tiffany's going to get that two, uh, that two, what, what was it? A two, let me not mistake your vision, girl. Let me get this right. Her two family house with a built-in savings plan. So she's going to get that property. And from the rent that they're paying her, she can turn around and then use some of that asset that income that's coming in to purchase the liability, which might be a, a, a reliable car that she can buy cash or, or a reliable car that the car payment is not even half of the, the monthly income. That's assets over liabilities. Right now, I want you to focus in this season of life. If you watch the economy and what's happening, you don't need to be buying anything that's expensive. Anything that's a liability right now, you don't, you don't want to be buying it. So buying a car is not a good idea right now. It depreciates, meaning goes down in value the minute you drive it off the lot. Now, if you buy a stock, a share of a stock, let's say Amazon, because it literally is dropping like it's hot. If you buy that, that is an asset that over time can pay for some of the liabilities you want to get or, or feel like you need. So assets over liabilities, you should be investing in what's cheap and not buying what's expensive because buying what's expensive right now is typically a liability like a car. And so I thought that that story was powerful because it was the exact example of assets over liabilities. She used the jars to create streams of income, right, to pay off her debt. And so then it goes into... um. Elisha telling the widow, just to, the, the, the ending of the, the story, is to go sell your oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So notice that he told her to pay her debts off first. Some people are so focused on other things. Like I'm a big advocate for investing. Even the Bible talks about it. We talked about how in Ecclesiastes, seven, seven ways, right? But the truth is, if you have so much debt, you don't, you don't have any business pouring your life savings into investing if you have a whole lot of debt. He didn't say go invest the money in the story. He didn't say um, go buy things for you and your sons. But he did say go pay your debt. And with what's left, you're going to be provided for. So this is the part of make sure you do the things. Make sure you do your budget. Make sure you figure out where you're at with all your debt, because right now your focus might be buying all these investments, but really we got to get some of that debt out the way too. 
And you can't just rely on your investments from seven years from now that all that interest is going to pay your current debt. The goal is to do them simultaneously in a way that honors where you're going, that honors you paying your debts, but also that honors the discipline of investing, understanding that it is a long-term game, but you can adopt skills to help you pay down the debt that doesn't interfere with investing. Like there's there's strategy and that's why you need a wealth community. People say it all the time. Why do I got to pay somebody to learn how to how to do insert whatever? Because if you knew how to do it, you'd already have what you have. I said what I said and some people won't like it and it's cool. I'm not here to say things that people like. I'm here to say things that are true. If you knew what you needed to know, if you have people in your life that that are teaching you right, if you have the people in your life that are wise counsel and wisdom companions, you would already be closer to, if not at where you're, where you're trying to go. But the truth is most people don't want to say that. Most people don't want to take accountability, the ability to account for what they do and don't do. And so a lot of people want to say, well, why should I pay to have to learn this? I could just go on YouTube. Well, tell me how YouTube works out for you because here we are in our 30s and you're still struggling with the things from your 20s. We got to get to a point where we take accountability and say, you know what? I'm going to go seek out what it is that I need in this season. And better yet, God will connect you. I don't care if it's a phone call. Sometimes you meet somebody on a random lunch, whatever it is, he will bring people to your life. And then it's up to you to do something with it. And so I'm just a big believer that you do have to pay your debts. Eric Thomas said something so powerful and it changed my entire mindset around student loans. Cause I used to say, Sally Mae, the student loan people are going to be the last people I give my money to. Anybody else say that it's just dumb. And it's a poverty mindset. I'm not calling you dumb. I'm just saying the statement was kind of dumb. And I would say things like that. I would say, oh, I'm just going to pay. I guess I'll owe them till I die. And that was such a poverty mindset because Eric Thomas said something so powerful. He said, whether you knew it or not, you signed your name on those student loans. Does your last name not mean anything to you that you feel like you don't got to pay back your debt? And I was like, dang, Eric. And you wealthy, wealthy. So I'm going to listen to some of your advice, bro. Okay, I don't want to have these till I die. How are we going to do this? <laughs> right? Because we're taught like this poverty instilling and then wonder why we keep reproducing poverty. Oh my gosh, that's probably why, because it's all we were taught and that's what we keep doing. And so we keep getting more of what we're doing. Hello. So I understood after going through this fast, I was like, man, my job is to pay down my debt so that I'm not indulging in all my stuff first and then paying them later. Like, that's not how it works or what we're called to do. And then when it comes to paying, it is irresponsible. I know. I had a horrible mindset. So then she goes back into mortgages. Like, for some reason, people think that it's the last thing they should be trying to pay off or if they have extra cash that they don't want to pay off their mortgage. And the truth is this. People between that were born between like the 1940s and the 1960s, they are not in a rush to pay off their mortgages. The data says, okay. But the truth is this. If people could like people feel sometimes that they want to take that extra cash and do something else with it. But in all reality, what if you could have paid the mortgage down and invested instead? But you want to know what the issue with that is? Most people don't invest. They don't. They want everything instant. They don't want to accumulate. They look at Warren Buffett and is like, man, he's so rich. I'm going to do what he did. Okay, good. I hope you were willing to be in the game for seven decades. That's what he did. 
but it been seven days and you're like, oh, I have to get rich off of crypto. This don't work. I'm so done. That person told me about a scam. Really? No, you told you about a scam the minute that you thought you were going to get rich overnight, but you've been poor for 28 years and you ain't had a problem with staying poor so far. So why we got a problem with not getting rich in seven days? That's how I feel. <laughs> it's like, we got we to gotta change up the mindset, y'all. And so it, it's, it's interesting because the biggest thing is that, and when it comes to paying down your mortgage, I am a big advocate for you paying your mortgage off early if you see how much interest you pay over time. And truth be told, for the first 10-ish years of your mortgage, that's going straight to interest. And so when you understand that and you understand, man, if I cut down the amount of time that I am going to pay a mortgage, I will reduce how much I end up paying for this property. But the other truth is this. Some people don't feel like they're in a rush. And then some people will say, oh, well, you know, I'll just I'll just pay a little extra here and there. And that helps. But you have to know one thing when you do that. Make sure that you let them know, I don't want that additional payment to go to my interest. I need this to go to principal only. And you do the same thing if you have, let's say, like a car that you want to pay extra on. Don't just be giving them extra interest money, don't you dare. Give them some of that principal money. Because that will reduce how much you pay over time. And it may not seem like a big deal, but if you go look up the difference, if you made one extra mortgage payment every year directly to the the principal balance and not the entire in, uh, in, accumulated with interest it makes a drastic difference and i just encourage you to go look up the numbers because it'll spark an idea in you to sometimes make the sacrifice and make that extra payment and so to keep it simple she gives a basic example and she says it may not seem like a lot, right? So she gives the example of if you spend a dollar in mortgage interest annually, you're in the 35% tax bracket, okay? So let's let's break down what this means. When you spend a buck, you get 35 cents back from the federal government. And this is how people try to justify why they don't why they're not in a rush to pay their house off. But check this out. So she says when you spend a buck, you get 35 cents back from the federal government. But so that's why people say, oh, like, I don't want to I don't want to pay my house off early because then um, I can still deduct the interest payments. But is it really worth it? You got to ask yourself, this is why you have to start learning about the numbers, because if you break it down. What if instead of that, instead of for every dollar you spend, you get 35 cents back from the government? What if you kept your dollar, meaning you no longer have a mortgage with those payments. Yes, you might have to pay $35 in income taxes, which if you start a home-based business, you can uh, mitigate some of those taxes, but I'm not a tax accountant. I'm not your financial advisor. I'm just giving you some education, but you could really be mitigating those taxes. Um, but let's just say that, okay, if your house was paid off and you weren't paying that mortgage payment with that interest now, yes, you have to pay 35 cents, right? But you get to keep, here's the part where people don't want to make the sacrifices. You get to keep 65 cents because you don't have that mortgage or interest payment. So the question is, which one would you rather have? Let me know in the chat. Option A is, would you rather have 35 cents that the government returned to you? Or B, would you rather have 65 cents of your own money? So why would you pay a lender a dollar to get back 35 cents? 
Hmm. Perspective. When you could just keep 65 cents after paying 35 cents in taxes. Perspective. So I love that she shared that example because it really gets you thinking different. So just keep in mind that your mortgage payment is front loaded with interest, y'all. Like that is not a fact that you can get out of. It's front loaded with interest. And if you're house rich and cash poor, sometimes it's not an ideal situation if you're not doing it from an investment perspective. If you're doing it from like a residential, this is my house perspective, not the smartest thing. Now, if you're an investor with a lot of properties and you're asset rich and cash poor, it's a little bit different. And so just know that there's strategy to it. Again, this is why you need a wealth community with people who have done it to pave the way for you. And this is why I love our mentors, because they're literally teaching us how they did this, how they were asset and are asset rich. OK, and so if you decide that you're going to pay your home off early, just make sure those payments are applied correctly. And I feel like it applies to a home, too. I mean, to a car. Then the other thing is when you when you're doing this, make sure you guys that you have your life happens fund, that you have your emergency fund make sure of those things. And then if you have other consumer debt, like credit cards or student loans, pay them off first because they normally have the most interest. Some credit cards are upwards in the 20 percentages of interest, as opposed to you keeping them, focusing on paying your house off. Now you're still left with that debt on those credit cards that have the highest interest. Why not get out of credit card debt, then go try to look for a home? I think that's smarter. And then save for retirement. Right. If you have children that you should be saving for their education. Again, this is why you have to follow the other principles. Right. And then you slowly build. And so Tiffany says that I pay a little over my car payment. So the excess goes to the principal. Let's go. Tiff, one piece of advice. Make sure you're calling them and telling them that because they will play crazy and say you never told them that it should go to the principal and they've been applying it to interest. And it actually does you more harm than it does good. But that's amazing. So just make sure that if you do that, make sure you're calling them or there's a way that you can identify it in the portal or something like that. Because I know some portals, when you make your car payment, you can select principal only, but some of them don't have it. So just make sure. And then... Alejandra says, I got my debt list ready to execute. Let's freaking go snowball effect. I'm going to show you guys a really, really cool spreadsheet. Um, if you're a spreadsheet person, if you're pencil and paper, you can do it on pencil and paper. And so um, she goes on to say that people always tell like some people out of the Washington Post, um, they show it on their app. OK, perfect. That's amazing. 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 I love it. I love it. So she goes on to say how in the Washington Post website, it said people always tell me to hang on to the mortgage, arguing the merits of tax deductions, earning interest on the money that's freed up, et cetera. None of that moves me. But instead of launching into a detailed explanation about why debt free is preferable, I'd rather have a short. <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce that word. Sonic, I guess, come back. I don't know. I don't even know what that word means. I got to go look it up in the dictionary. How should I respond? Maybe that's like quick-witted or something. Actually, let's go look it up. Don't ever say you don't know something. Uh, Google University, let's look it up because I don't feel comfortable when not knowing what that word means. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm like, how am I going to be reading from this and not be able to tell you what that means? So I don't know. I'm not perfect. Let's look it up. Okay, it just means briefly and clearly express. Okay, that makes total sense because she wanted a response that was, Amara, what are you doing? That was briefly 
and clearly expressed, okay? So that's what succinct means. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's how I'm going to go with it. So she asked, how should I respond? And then Michelle says, I have an easy resort for this reader. Tell people you don't like being a slave. I said, well, gosh, diggity darn it. That's the perfect response you could ever give anybody about your debt. So they could go drink their water and mind their business. I don't want to be a slave, period. And for some of us who had ancestors who were enslaved. Yeah, it's not a good look. We, do, we don't want it. We want no parts. And that's why I feel like some people, sadly, have to fight even harder because of what the people before us had to endure. We won't go there because I'll probably start crying on live, but we're not going to do that today. So now we're going into ducking. Your debt is wicked. And real quick, you guys, give me like one minute of grace real quick so I could go pour Amara's milk in because she's looking at me like, Mom, if you do not give me some milk right now, I'm going to scream. Be right back. Talk to each other in the chat. I love y'all. Come here, Amara. Come here. Oh, give me, give me that right now. Girl. No, you cannot eat that. That's not okay. Come on. Yes, say thank you, mom. Thank you, mom. Why are there raisins all over my floor? Okay, I'm back. Thank you. I appreciate y'all. Okay, so. All right, I'm back. So, let's get into it. Ducking your debt is wicked. So, in uh, Psalms 37, 21, it says, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. And also, in Ecclesiastes 5, 5, it says, It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. So it's basically saying if circumstances made it difficult and you had to slide back on paying the, the debts that you took out, then it's understandable. But in paying your debt, you guys, like you can't, when you can't pay your debt, one thing, and this, I would see this all the time, especially when I worked in banking. And maybe you can relate because we get into seasons sometimes where we have so much debt that we're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm going left or right or center. And you're afraid to pick up the phone, right? You're afraid that you just don't want to face, you don't want to face your finances. How many of us have been there? Like you feel like it's so bad you don't want to face it. But again, we addressed earlier in the fast that that's going to do you more harm than good to not face it. And so one of the biggest things that she says is don't let the phone just go to voicemail and not face your situation, but instead Pick up the phone and explain the circumstance. Sometimes they won't have any mercy and it just is what it is. But you running and hiding does nothing. There's a mentor in my life that says you can't heal what you hide from. So how can you heal your financial situation if you're hiding from debt collectors? And it's sad, but we've all been there at one point in time, I feel like. Where you feel so burdened that you're kind of embarrassed a little bit, right? You don't want to pick up the phone and say, I don't have the money. You don't want to pick up the phone and say, listen, someone in my family is sick. And unfortunately, the money that's supposed to go to you, I have to use for their medical stuff. Like we get embarrassed. We have pride as humans. Right. And so 
she says, though, that you should pick up the phone because as consumers, we have rights. And this is the other thing. Like debt collectors, yes, you owe them a debt, but they also can't treat you certain ways. So she goes off to list a lot of your consumer rights. And I don't want to like read through every single one of them, but just know things like they can't call you before 8 a.m. or after 9 p.m. Eastern time normally, right? Like the later time zones. Um, you don't have to put up with them calling your job 24-7. So if you have a collector, a debt collector that is harassing you at work, there are formal letters that you can send them because that's not the way they're supposed to be collecting on that debt. Um, you can stop them from calling by writing a letter to them with specific verbiage. And if you guys feel like you're being harassed by creditors, I'm in this really awesome credit, like a credit repair or credit building group that teaches you how to deal with a lot of the creditors, what you can say to them in a letter. Um, I follow this really awesome woman. I follow her everywhere, like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Her name is Shonda Martin. Um, I'll type it in the chat. Um, I can't do it on here, but I can do it on here. So let me type her name in the chat. You guys can follow her. She offers a lot of valuable information like that you can start working on. And, and we'll talk more about this. Um, we'll talk more about this on the day of credit because her group is really, really helpful. I actually tagged the group below and her name. That way, if you guys want to check it out, but there's tons of different like letter templates in there. If a collection agency is harassing you or if you want a validation that you even do owe like a company, so many different things. And so you have the right to keep your debt problems private. And if they're violating some of your consumer rights, they could be in trouble or even have to dismiss the debt. And so you have to start learning your rights. Um, but these rules are intended for them to treat you with respect and vice versa for you to respect the fact that, okay, you do have debt. And so how do we move together mutually to get a solution? Right? So in many cases though, you guys, creditors are willing to settle. And I want to give you guys a little nugget right now during this whole pandemic stuff, the rates are going to go up again. And so right now, what a lot of creditors are faced with is people that they know are not going to be able to pay their debt. So I know maybe you're afraid to answer the phone for a debt that you might owe from three years ago. And the truth is that the, the older the account, right? So let's say it's three years old and you're just afraid to face it. And maybe you just keep getting the collection letter. I want to let you know that the older it is, especially in this season that we're in right now, right? This season of people being tighter on money, people not having as much, and you're on this road of discipline, call these companies up and offer them a settlement. Better yet, write them a letter with your settlement before you ever call them. Writing is always more effective. Because these companies right now are willing to settle for 40% off, 50% off, 60% off, because they know we're entering into a financial season where people are not going to be paying them anything. They won't have it. Their main focus will be food and shelter. And so if you're in a position right now where you're saving money from the fast and you get, you know, $150 together, start thinking about some of these things. And again, that group is really, really helpful. We'll talk more about it during the day of credit. But, you know, um, just be very mindful and avoid being pressured to pay something you really don't have.
Don't let a debt collector get you by the neck over the phone and tell you that if you don't pay the whole $5,000, you are going to jail. Like, hold up. First of all, you can't threaten me like that. Second, I cannot agree to that amount because I do not make enough to pay that. I will give you guys a call back with a potential settlement. Period, point blank. Have some posture. And so, you know, a lot of times you run from, from situations, but I will tell you this, in this season that we're in, if your account's a little bit older and you just haven't been wanting to face it, they will settle with you because they understand if you don't settle, they might not get anything. And so you just have to have a little posture to say, you know what, I'm going to learn some basic things so I can negotiate with these people. And so um, each state has different statutes of limitation. So if you have like, a letter that comes that says they're suing you or things like that. You want to get some help. That that group is amazing, honestly. Um, you can find a lot of good information and resources in there. But just be sure to get the details of any debt they're saying that you owe that maybe you're not familiar with. And keep a record of everything because companies will say you didn't pay them, okay? Keep your record. Keep your receipts. Um, filing bankruptcy. Listen, this one is kind of... Kind of touchy, but not so much. But I don't want to spend too much time on it because the truth is this. Um, a lot of people file bankruptcy when they get really overwhelmed by medical debt, you know, other big debts that they're not able to pay, you know, um, separations that lead to a lot of debt. And so pray about it. Ask God, right? Um, in the word, it says that we should pay what we borrow. But at the same time, you know, scripture allows for grace and mercy, right? And so if we know that, pray about it. If it's the, the decision that God is leading you to, that's between you and your creator. And, you know, the, she, she shares something where Jesus gives an example of mercy toward debtors. And it says two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. That's from Luke 741. And it says, don't read this and think that I've given you permission or even biblical evidence that bankruptcy is okay. It's not okay, but because it says pay every day as if, every debt as if God wrote the bill. But the truth is that there's also mercy. And so understand that it's not for anybody to judge what you do and what you don't do, but for you to just pray about it. And if God is leading you to do that in your life, then you do that. Um, now let's talk about the debt dash plan. And so she talks about basically like your effort to pay down your debt, like you're in a hundred meter dash. Okay. And the main point of this, you guys, is just a sense of urgency. Does anybody else have a sense of urgency to pay off their debt? Like I do. I'm like, I'm not coming out of 2023 with this debt period point blank. I'm not doing it. Okay. There is urgency in my life. Okay. And so if you know this, the, the, the debt dash plan that she specifically talks about talks about you ignoring interest rates. And the goal of the debt dash plan that she gives you is that you start to list your debts from lowest to highest. And the main goal, and you guys, if you're the pencil and paper kind of person, she has a debt dash plan example that you can follow, but I'm going to show you a spreadsheet. Excuse me. So then she goes, how do you get the debt dash plan started? Because the point is to go from lowest to highest balance so that as you accomplish them, your brain, which is wired specifically this way, feels rewarded every time you hit an accomplishment and you pay off a debt. Right. And I'm going to show you something really cool. So she says, here's how to get started. Pray, ask God to forgive you of past mistakes with money. 
forgive yourself, okay? Things happen. You weren't taught. Mistakes are there. It is what it is. We're not going to live in the past. Somebody type, I'm not going to live in the past. Another one is gather up your bills, credit card statements, and so on. You can't turn things around if you continue to ignore what you owe. We just talked about that. List all your debts, starting with one carrying the lowest balance, and then start to go in order from lowest to highest, okay? And if two debts are the same, then go with the debt that has the higher interest first, okay? So then you're going to go to identify any extra cash that you can make by cutting your expenses, getting another job, or both. Listen, I'm not a huge advocate for the second job thing, but I am a huge advocate of doing whatever you've got to do for a season so that that does not have to do your so that that doesn't have to be your forever. And so if you're that person that's like, ah, I don't want to learn how to do anything online. I don't want to participate in any of that. I like working jobs. Well, if you like working jobs, then go get a second job. But do what you have to do in the meantime, temporarily. I'm just a big advocate that there's such a better way, but we don't have to have the same beliefs, but you can have a similar goal, which is sense of urgency with your debt. So that means get the second job if you got to get it temporarily. Find a work from home gig. There's a lot of them. So that you can start to chip down at this debt. Amara. Y'all, my daughter is wild, okay? Um, But be sure that you inform the lender that your extra payments want to go to principal only. Because remember, you want to get that principal balance down. So you don't pay as much interest. Um, then follow the regimen until all your debts are paid off. If you have extra money above what you've been saving, such as a tax refund or a bonus, put it toward your debt dash plan. I'm also a big believer. Put it into some solid investments. Okay. And so she gives an example and she says, generally, you don't include your home mortgage, but definitely include car loans and student loans. So really, honestly... Everything outside of your big home, if you like your home loan, if you own a home, is going to be everything you want to focus on. And then that will be like your last big run to get out of debt piece. Okay. So, what she says is you can get a psychological boost that helps you achieve your goals because your brain is wired to do that. Your brain is wired to um, want that reward where they get charged up when you can cross things off your list. Anybody like that? I'm a list person. Can y'all see? I'm a list person. So every time I get to scratch something, y'all see my little scratches. Every time I get to scratch something off your brain, something goes off in your brain, like the, the happy hormones that go off when you have a good workout. They go off when you start to accomplish things and, and check them off the list, if you will. And so she gives an example and at the end of the day says, you know, the plan is just to eliminate your debt. So I want to show you guys a spreadsheet that I actually use that you can kind of customize for the way you want to attack your debt. Like for me personally, I love the idea of lowest to highest, but I also love and know the power in doing highest interest first because it makes a difference, a huge difference. And so let me share my screen with you guys and let me know in the comments when you can see this. And I'm going to try to make this bigger if possible. Uh, let's see. Okay, let me know if you're able to see this. I just made it bigger, so it might take a second because I know there's a delay. 
Okay, give me some hearts. Okay, it looks good. Perfect. So this is what's called a debt reduction calculator. So this is where you're going to list all your debts out and you're going to really organize this in the way that you want to tackle it. So let's say you're going to start with today's date and today's date is what? 10, 27, 2022. Okay. And you're going to start listing off your creditors. You're going to start listing off. Uh, let's say I saw somebody post capital one. So now that was at the top of my head. So let's say your balance there is $1,400 and let's say your interest rate is 22%. Okay. And your payment, let's say your minimum payment is $63. I don't know. I'm making that up. And okay. So now you're going to keep listing off your debt. So I'm just going to make some up. I'm just going to put like car payment, your balance, let's say is 15320 uh, your interest might be like 9%. I don't know. Um, your payment might be, I don't know, let's say $321, 321. <laughs> so now it's calculating basically like every month, how much your monthly payments total up to, right? And then this is totaling up all of your balances. So I'm just going to put in, we're going to zero some of these out just to make this simpler. But if they've been charged off up, oh, it still counts as debt. So let's put it on there. All right. So now you're going to go to, let's say, um, uh, you got another credit card. I don't know who it's from, but another credit card. Your balance is 780 bucks. Let's say the rate is 19%. Your payment is $32 a month. I don't know. Right. So let's just go with that for now. Let's not put too many numbers on here. So now, now we're going to go in and we're going to say, okay, my total debt is $17,500, okay? And my total monthly payments are $423. Not doing too bad, right? But most people have way more debt than this. So now you know that, let's say, your monthly payment you're going to make is you can commit to, let's say, $600, okay? So that means that this extra $177 is what you're going to start paying extra toward your debt dash plan, right? Or your debt snowball. Does that make sense? So $600 is what we're committing to to pay in bills every month, right? Because maybe your rent is, is there, right? So you got rent to pay, you got like food to buy, but these are your creditors, okay? So out of the money that you make every month, you're committing to taking 600 and applying it to debt. So if your current if your current bill payments every month, like your creditors, tally up to 423 and you're committed to pay 600, that means that we have 177 left to work with. So now you're going to decide how do I want to attack my debt? Do I want to do a highest interest first? Do I want to do the snowball, which is the lowest balance first? Do you see how it reorganizes it here for you to focus on which one is next? Um, let's say you want to do it the stair stepper. You can do that too, where it's like high one, lower one, high one, right? Stair stepping. You can choose to do no snowball. You can choose to do custom with the highest first, right? Um, you could do lowest first. 
And so the point of this and lower is better for your total interest, because to me, interest is really important. I feel like interest is extra money you're paying to whoever owns the debt. Okay. So your goal is to have the lowest number here possible. So check this out, right? If you pay it from this method, you'll end up paying this much in interest. But let's see if we do the snowball, which is your lowest balance first. That reduces the interest a little bit, but it's not great. Now, let's see if we do the avalanche, which is paying the highest interest off first. So right now we're at 2,461 and some cents, right? Seven cents in interest. Let's see what happens if we start attacking the debt by highest interest first. Do you see how you reduce how much you pay in interest by just a little bit? It's not a lot, but heck, anything that I could reduce is going to help me. So let's say you have uh, three other credit cards that are really high in interest, because this is where people are getting really caught up, is really high interest credit card debt. Let's say you have a credit card that's 10000 balance at you know 21%. That's common to see, sadly, in a lot of um, credit cards. So let's say your monthly payment on that one is $111, 111. Um, let's say that last credit card is not too bad. It's like $2,100. I don't know. And let's say that your interest on that is eh, 17% and that your monthly payment is $77. I'm just making this up. So now look at the difference, right? Let's say your total monthly payments total out to 609, but you're going to commit to paying 800 a month. Okay. In debt toward your debt. So that means you have $191 extra that you're going to apply to your debt dash plan or your debt freedom plan, um, your snowball effect, whatever you want to call it. And so if we attack the highest interest first, we end up paying 9325 in interest, right? Let's uh, click that again and make sure that that's right. Okay, so that's right. You would pay, by the time you pay these off, by attacking them a little more aggressively by the highest interest first, you're going to end up paying 9325 in interest. But what if you decided to do it um, lowest balance first, the snowball, right? So that you could you're like psychologically reward yourself. So if you do the snowball first, do you see how it increases the interest a little bit more? to 9,469. So that's 200 bucks, give or take in more interest that I'm sorry, you already taking my money. I don't want to give you 200 extra, <laughs> but that's just me. So you're going to pick whatever works best for you. And then let's say you're going to, you might want to do lowest to highest first. Do you see how much interest though, that you pay extra 3000 more in interest? If let's say you focus on the car first and then everything else, because these credit cards have so much more interest. So just be mindful of this. This is a really good way to give you the best strategy that you could be applying. So let's go back and do as if we were going to do highest interest first. Okay. So now there's another tab on here where you can input your payment schedules. So you can actually input every single month, right? It's going to be, it's October of 2022. Make sure you can come in here and document everything that you actually paid. And then it automatically calculates it to tell you, okay, in November, you're going to do, okay, so let's say that um, for October, for the snowball, what were, what were the numbers? Okay, 191. So let's say 191 Um, additional, I don't know, let's say you were able to swing an extra hundred dollars 
and you would fill this all the way through and it will start calculating for you. So anytime you pay additional, put it in here because it will start to drop down all of your balances. And the goal is for you to eventually get to where you have what? Zero, right? Um, then there's another one, the snowball chart so that you can actually see how much of the snowball you've done as opposed to your total balance. So the goal is for you to be watching your total balance drop. And so I wanted to show you guys this spreadsheet. Let me know if you guys want a copy of this. I can send you like a clean, um, I can post it in the group actually, a clean copy where you just go to the top and select where it says make a copy and you could just make your own copy and start to plug your stuff in. If nothing else, at least to see where you're at. That way you can get a better feel for, okay, I have, Amara, please take that out of your mouth. Take it out of your mouth. At least you can go in and see, okay, I have this much debt. Here are the ones with the highest interest. And you can add a bit. What did I say? Y'all, my toddler is clowning. I got to be a little strict right now. Thank you. So you can add more um, rows if you need them, if you have more than 10. And again, I wouldn't put things like rent on there because your rent, if you're renting, you're going to keep paying rent until you decide not to rent. So I would put things on there that are like credit card, excuse me, credit cards, collections, car notes, um, loans, like personal loans. Um, student loans, I would put them all on there. And so um, hopefully that hopefully that was helpful. Let me know. Do you guys have Amara? Do you guys have any questions before I go through the assignment and we wrap up? I know we've been here on for a while, but I wanted to at least make sure that you guys see the spreadsheet, get a feel for how to use it, and then get a chance to ask questions. So I'm going to pause myself for a minute to see if any questions come in and then we'll address the assignment. Let's see. Residual bills, no go. Yeah, basically. So like things like rent, the utilities, those are things that you have to pay and they could also vary. So that's why you have your budget, right? So that you can know what those bills are. Um, but your debt freedom plan, that debt dash plan or debt snowball, that's specifically to pay off the debt that's revolving or installment, meaning a car is an installment. Once it's paid off, it's paid off. A credit card is revolving. As you pay it, it frees up the balance. But we're not trying to use the balance. We still want to pay it off. And so hopefully that was helpful. Let me know if you guys have any questions. I'll wait about one more minute and then we'll wrap it up with this assignment. And I will go back in as soon as this live ends and I will post the spreadsheet and where you could just make a copy of it. Amara has raisins all over the floor, y'all. Pray for me. I don't see questions. Lots of information. I know. Hopefully it wasn't too much. But I hope that it was helpful, at least, if nothing else. So, okay, what is the assignment? The assignment is, if you have debt, make a commitment today to list every creditor, bank, relative, or friend you owe money to. The information on this list should be transferred to your debt dash plan. That's good. Mindset shifting is good. The information on this list should be transferred to your debt dash plan, or you could call it your debt snowball. I call it my debt freedom date. <laughs> 
That's just how I prefer. Um, and the goal is to total your debt. And this is an important exercise so that you can see just how much debt you've accumulated. And you're probably not going to be happy with the number. I'm telling you, when I realized I was in over six figures of debt, I was mortified. Like I wanted to cry. I wanted to be mad. And then ultimately I was like, for what? Cry over spilled milk. You already accumulated the debt. What are you going to do to get out? Right. And so take some time to reflect on the use of your debt. In your journal, answer the following questions. Has being in debt led you to do some things you know are wrong? If so, list them out. How has debt affected your life overall? For example, have you had to delay buying a home because you have massive credit card debt? Are you stressed when the mail arrives or the phone rings because the creditors are calling? Is your debt burden weighing down your spirit? If so, how do you imagine life would be different if you were debt free? And this was the part of shifting your mindset. And I'll end with this. This was the part of shifting that mindset from, okay, you know, am I, is my spirit being weighed down by all the debt that I have? Because right here we focus on the darkness and, oh my gosh, I have all this debt. And what did I... <coughs> excuse me, and what did I do? And oh my gosh, because we're focusing on all this debt that we don't want, as opposed to if we can get an image in our head of what would life be if I was debt-free? Like just start listing stuff off in the chat. What would your life be like if you were completely debt-free? And you want to keep that image in your mind so that you can say, you know what? I'm going to focus on that instead. I need to get to that because we already did this. So we're here, right? But now let's focus on getting to that, whatever that is for you. Mindset, Money & More is going to be a weekly podcast where I'll be sharing tips, strategies, interviewing amazing guests from all around the world that are amazing at what they do, and also be sending you out tips personally to help you along your journey. Because after all, any area that you want to experience increase in is going to require you working on your mindset. My hope is to really bring my passion and my expertise, especially when it comes to financial services and helping others develop so that I can really empower, educate, and help lead others into their next level of increase. Follow me on social media at Mindset Money and More or at www.mindsetmoneymore.com and feel free to subscribe, rate, and comment on all podcast apps.